Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 380. Three. Welcome in. Uh, I don't want to waste any time. Let's jump right in. I do want to apologize real quick first. Uh, this is later than I was planning to put it out. Uh, Sunday night was an all-nighter. Monday night after the game, I was just wiped out. I had to go to bed uh, instead of recording last night. So here we are. And on Monday night football, the Raiders beat the Ravens 33-27. to Oh my goodness. What a game. Uh, it was insane. The Raiders won. And then they didn't. And then they really didn't. And then, oh yeah, they did again. It was very crazy, uh, like a wild ending. Between the fourth quarter and then overtime, just an unbelievable back-and-forth crazy game. Now, before we do anything, though, I do want to give a shout-out to the Raiders fans. It was their first-ever game at the new stadium in Vegas, and a first-ever regular season game with fans in it. And I, I don't know if they had fans in the preseason. They probably did. I didn't pay close enough attention. It was a big party, though. You had Steve Aoki DJing to open up things pregame. And I think the Raiders culture makes them, like, the perfect city for the Raiders. Or I guess, like, the pairing between the city and the fan base and the way they conduct themselves and their crazy, rowdy nature. Like, the Raiders belong in Sin City. It's fantastic. I love it. Uh, such a good location for them. This game was amazing. We, we got blessed with just, I mean, all of week one, from Thursday Night Football, Buccaneers, Cowboys, to... Like, throughout the weekend, the Bengals game, like, there was so, the Bills-Steelers, there was so much good football. And then, the, like, the perfect nightcap was Monday Night Football. And here's the insane final sequence. I want to recap what happened because it's very convoluted and very complicated. I'm going to do my very best to recap how it went down. And it's, it's worth doing because it's like, it, it really blows your mind when you put it to words. You're like, oh, my gosh, that happened, and that happened, and that happened. So, first, Baltimore scored a touchdown to give a seven-point lead with six minutes left. They were up 24 to 17. Then the Raiders put together a two-minute drive to make the game 24-24 with, like, four minutes left. Then Baltimore responded by putting together a long drive, kicking a field goal with 37 seconds left. So 37 seconds left. Raiders are down 27-24 in the fourth quarter. And they responded by Derek Carr had two really big completions to uh, Brian Edwards, 20 yards and 18 yards. Guy barely did anything all game until the fourth quarter and overtime. And then the Raiders lined up. They kicked a 55-yard field goal to tie the game 27-27. I was like, I don't know that this is going to go in. And it did. And shout out to uh, Carlson, whatever the first name is. Dan Carlson, whatever the guy's name is. The kicker for the Raiders. Great kick. Amazing moment. And what's crazy is that's not even where we end here. That The sequence to even get to overtime was unbelievable. But then in overtime, things were ridiculous. The Raiders got the ball first. They had a – I talked about Brian Edwards. He had a massive catch down the sideline. We, it's a touchdown. They rule it a touchdown. The, the refs put their hands up. Game ends. Players are hugging on the field, like, you know, about to trade jerseys and kind of dabbing each other up. And everybody's all over the field. And then we find out, oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. He was short. That's not a touchdown. Brian Edwards didn't actually get into the end zone. And we're like, oh, boy, here we go. But, hey, it's first and goal. The Raiders, you think they're fine. And, you know, first and goal happens. Second and goal, they, I think I got a false start. They end up on the five-yard line, third and goal. And... Derek, I love Derek, should have taken a little bit off the ball, throws a laser beam to Willie Sneed. It bounces off Willie Sneed's hands, get, bounces in the air, gets picked off in the end zone, in the end zone. And you're like, wow, the Raiders went from celebrating a victory to about three minutes later, 
<laughs> it's the Ravens ball on the 20-yard line touchback after Derek Carr throws an interception in the end zone. And you're like, wow. And then it does it gets crazier from there. Lamar Jackson then fumbled, which handed the Raiders back the ball. And then they scored on a long touchdown pass to Zay Jones for the game winner, uh, 31 yards. I know it's convoluted, but that the story of that is crazy. Getting to overtime was insane. The way it went down in overtime, the Raiders won, I thought. We all celebrate, move forward. We meaning like Raiders fans. I'm not a Raider fan, but you know, you get the money. I, I was excited. It was fun. I'm like, oh, that's a great moment. Really, really cool. And, and then I'm like, oh, wow, the Ravens are going to win this game. Like they get the ball back. Lamar fumbles. What a crazy, ridiculous, weird sequence. Um, now, Derek Carr gave an amazing post-game interview. I recommend you look it up on YouTube. Look up Derek Carr, post-game Ravens, Monday Night Football, something like that. And I'm a, already a big Derek Carr fan. I really like him. I like his demeanor. Like him as a human being. As a quarterback, like I think there's far more compelling quarterbacks around the NFL. But him as a human being, love the guy. Great leader, great person. And his passion for the game and for his teammates, like this dude cares. He went out of his way to give credit to the defense saying like, thank you for getting us the ball back. They made a play when we needed it. And then he went out of his way. This is my favorite part. Like the defense, that's a great comment. But then he, he made sure to give praise to Zay Jones, the guy who caught the touchdown pass for the game winner. He was like a second round pick a couple years ago in Baltimore. And I heard someone say, it was actually it was Peyton Manning during the alternate Monday Night Football broadcast. He goes like, who is Jones? Like literally like, who, who is this kid? Like who would have thought that guy was going to catch the game winning touchdown pass? But Derek Carr talked about how everybody should root for Zay Jones because his work ethic is amazing. And he shows up every morning at 6 a.m. And he works hard. Like, I don't want to spoil I probably already did, but li- listen to it. I guarantee it. it's just like such an amazing moment with Derek Carr praising his teammates. Oh, I loved it so, so much. Now, one thing I want to point out from this game was that all three of the Raiders' top receivers, whether it's Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, Darren Waller, those three guys, I I am pretty convinced Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards are about to have a breakout year. Henry Ruggs had a huge 37-yard gain late in the fourth quarter on a third down. Brian Edwards had multiple catches in the fourth quarter and in overtime. Like When they needed plays, those guys delivered. They didn't have the most impressive game I've ever seen, but I thought that when it mattered most, Henry Ruggs showed up and Brian Edwards showed up. And then Darren Waller had 10 catches for 105 yards and a touchdown had this great like slant where he beat his man inside, got a touchdown, made two men miss, jumping in the end zone. I'm, I'm really, really excited to watch the Raiders offense this year. Uh, my buddy Austin texted me yesterday. He's my hockey guy. Whenever I do hockey, I talk to Austin. And Austin was like, like he, he basically was like, are the Raiders like really boring this year? And, and I kind of get where he's coming from. Uh, and I don't mean to out Austin. He, it's, it's a genuine question. I'm like, no, the, the most exciting thing about the Raiders this year is Derek Carr and those three young receivers, is Brian Edwards going to have a breakout year like I think he can? Is Henry Ruggs going to explode like I think he can? We know Darren Waller is going to be incredible. That is my favorite thing to watch about this football team is those three receivers and Derek Carr, their quarterback. Now, Lamar Jackson and Derek Carr both had pretty good games throwing a football, in my opinion. Uh, now, to me, it's only one game, but it does look like Lamar Jackson has gotten better throwing the ball downfield. All offseason, it's been a narrative like Lamar, Needs to make progress throwing the ball. We'll see where he's at, like week 10. Uh, but, I mean, his, his footwork was better. He threw the ball better downfield, in my opinion. He had a great throw uh, late in the fourth quarter to Sammy Watkins over the middle. Like this long ball set up there, go-ahead touchdown. And I just believe that Lamar Jackson is getting better and better and better. And, and, and I just I think that's crazy to say because he's already so good. But watching him, like he's very accurate downfield. Uh, and I just I really was impressed with the way Lamar Jackson threw the football yesterday. I think sometimes when I watch Lamar Jackson, I end up feeling bad for defenses where 
you can do everything right. You play the right coverage. You defend everybody. No one's open. You, you play a quarterback spy. You contain him really well. And you do everything right against Lamar. And he's just such a good athlete. He can make you wrong no matter what you do. It's ridiculous. He had a play last night where he extended the play, rolled out to the right, you know, kept the play alive. Like, first of all, he, he backed up in the, in the pocket, made someone miss in the pocket. Then he extended the play right, extends it, throws a touchdown. And I, I just, when he does that kind of stuff, it's unguardable. You're like, I, <laughs> what do you do? It's a defense. It's not, it's uh, frankly, it's not fair. You're like, I, I just feel bad. The Raiders, that's a great play. The right call. No one's open. <laughs> they contained him pretty well. He made a man miss in the backfield. Then you're like, oh, here we go. So to me, like, if I was a coach, I would want to coach someone like Kyler Murray or Lamar Jackson or Justin Herbert or Josh Allen. Like, I really, really think that it's so valuable when you can run and extend plays. And if your quarterback can't extend plays, and if, if I'm the coach, I'm like, thank you, next. Like, I'm going to find someone else. I really would have a hard time committing to a quarterback now in this day and age who can't run around. Like Tom Brady, he's, you know, grandfathered in, fair enough. But if you're a young quarterback, I encourage everybody, figure out how to run around and extend plays. It really will add a massive dimension to your game. Even if you're not someone who can run, I'm trying to think of an example, um, Gardner Minshew, Sam Darnold, like, Sam's not the best example, but these are, these are guys who are not amazing athletes, but like, even Patrick Mahomes, right? Patrick Mahomes is never going to run for a 70 yard touchdown run. It's never going to happen. Lamar Jackson might, Tyler Murray might, uh, Justin Herbert might, but Patrick Mahomes isn't that kind of runner. But what Patrick Mahomes can do is keep a play alive and find a way to extend the pocket and keep a play alive. And I just encourage anyone, no matter how great or poor of an athlete you are, figure out how to young quarterbacks extend plays and keep plays alive. It's so so valuable. Now, Lamar was not perfect in this game. He had two fumbles that were, that were costly, both for him, uh, and, and they led to Raiders touchdowns, man. They, I, frankly, like the difference in this game, why the Ravens lost was because Lamar Jackson did not take care of the football when it mattered most. He had a fumble in the, late in the game that tied the game up. Uh, then in, the fourth, in, in overtime, Lamar Jackson, they got the ball back. He fumbles, leads to a Raiders go-ahead game-winning touchdown. It cannot happen. You cannot take care of the ball as poorly as Lamar Jackson did yesterday. Now, both Lamar, and I say yesterday, you're probably hearing this. If you're listening to the audio version, uh, it's Tuesday for you. I'm getting it out like right at the end of the day on the East Coast, uh, Tuesday. So whatever that, last night, two days ago, whatever it is for you. Uh, now, both Lamar and Derek Carr had one really bad play. One play that I, it, it sticks with me. It's going to sit in my head for a while. It's going to be hard for me to forget. Uh, Derek Carr had a play where he just did not see Darren Waller. Like, right down the seam, wide open over the middle of the field. The safety didn't pay any attention to him. I think it was clearly a busted coverage. And that's a play that's going to be brutal in the film room. Like, probably today. I can already hear John Gruden's voice saying, like, kid, what are you looking at? Like, and I can't do a John Gruden impression, but he basically would say, like, did you not see the safety at all? Like, <laughs> the safety moves all the way to the left. Darren Waller's wide open. It's one safety in the middle of the field. No help. I'm like, where, why is the ball... Even if someone had run with Darren Waller, you still throw the ball to Darren Waller in that situation, let alone no – they just left him alone. And instead of throwing a touchdown pass, Derek Carr kind of panicked in the pocket, checked it down to Josh Jacobs. It was not a good look. It was not a good play. It was easily the worst play of the entire game for Derek Carr. Uh, and there's a couple times where Derek Carr has guys over the middle. And Peyton Manning pointed this out too during the broadcast. Like, you got to set your feet. He had one to Henry Ruggs. He had one to Darren Waller where guys are running across the field. And I think Henry Ruggs is actually – now think about it, a miscommunication where – Henry Ruggs got to settle down in zone, but he's really struggling with those little moments. Guys running across the field 
or I, I don't know if he's panicking the pocket or what it is, but he's got to set his feet and make that throw. Um, and that's a, that's a frustration for me watching Derek Carr. Now, and by the way, that play is a busted coverage too. So the Ravens screwed up. They're like, you never leave Darren Waller wide open. And I don't know if Derek Carr, like he saw the coverage, assumed they were going to run it the right way. I saw uh, Tom, Aaron Rodgers a couple of years ago, I think in the NFC Championship game, like when one of the giant Super Bowl runs happened, Aaron Rodgers read the coverage right, but the linebacker screwed it up and was in the wrong spot. It was like not supposed to be there. And so if you know the coverage, you're like, oh, hey, there's not going to be a linebacker there. Aaron threw the ball through an interception. It's like, well, no, even you still have to verify what you see. Like you can say, hey, that's covered too. There should be two safeties. There should not be anyone in the middle of the field if they're both getting wide. And you're like, one safety gets wide, one safety gets wide. But then a linebacker drops and maybe it's Tampa 2 or maybe someone runs the wrong coverage. And you're like, oh, <laughs> that's supposed to be open against that d- coverage, but it's not. You have to verify what you see. And I don't know if that's what happened to Derek Carr where he saw a safety in the middle of the field, assumed they were going to cover. I don't know, but he didn't see the safety. He didn't see Darren Waller. And it's pretty damning. That's a bad play. Now, Lamar had a bad play too late in the game. Uh, third and six, the Ravens were up 17 to 10. And it, they're putting together a drive, and you score here, you go up 24 to 10. That's a really hard margin to come back from. And Lamar had Tyson Williams, the, their, their undrafted rookie running back, who's like really impressive, by the way, had him wide open in the flat. And it's a first down if you make that throw, and Lamar just totally missed it. Like just a whiff. You're like, oh, Lamar, you've been doing so well all game. And maybe the easiest throw you could make all night, wide open flat route, you just totally airmail it and miss. And you're like, oh, I, I think he actually missed totally wide to the right. You can't have that. Like, that's not a bad, that's, that's a really, sorry, that's a really bad play by Lamar Jackson. And it's, it's just frustrating. Now, I say all that in case people point out, hey, Derek Carr had this bad play or that bad play, or, you know, Lamar Jackson missed that throw on third and six. I, I, the reason why I highlight these couple plays is because, you can have a bad play or two in a game and still be a great quarterback. In fact, having a bad play doesn't make you a bad quarterback is kind of the point where, remember when Tom Brady literally forgot the down last year? He thought it was third down when it was fourth down. And you're like, Tom Brady screwed that up. Like you can't, Tom Brady would never do that. And he did. So it's a, it's an unrealistic expectation to expect your quarterback to be perfect all the time. Uh, neither one was. So I just wanted to, I wanted to share that because if anyone tells you Derek Carr had that bad play or Lamar had that bad play or a fumble or whatever, it happens. Like, it, it really frustrated me. I was talking about how most games from week one, you had the better quarterback won every game. And one of the games that was the exception was Jameis Winston beat Aaron Rodgers. People thought I was trying to say Jameis Winston was a better quarterback than Aaron. I was trying to talk about the other like 14 games building up to the Packers-Saints game. People assumed, I, I get how they made that leap, but they assumed I meant like, oh, Jameis is better than Aaron based on one game. Definitely not, right? Like Aaron had an awful game week one. That doesn't make him a bad quarterback. And having a bad play or two does not make you a bad quarterback. And I feel that way with Lamar and Derek Carr. And, and by the way, that Aaron Rodgers thing, like oh, people are, I don't know if they're dumb. I don't know if they, and I, maybe it's because I didn't specifically say, and maybe I have to be very, very blatant and obvious, but I couldn't believe they thought I was saying that Jameis is better than Aaron Rodgers. I'm like, oh, come on guys, come on. Uh, I have a couple additional notes from this game. Derek Carr had a sick helmet, uh, and I looked it up. It's got, like, these cool, like, dots on it. It's a Vices Zero Two. Interesting new technology. I watched a couple of reviews of it. I'm like, oh, that's a really, really nice, very sick helmet. Now, note number two, Hunter Renfro is a really solid slot receiver for the Raiders. He had six catches for 70 yards. Uh, he's the one receiver I didn't talk about. Dude does a lot of good work. He had a catch on the sideline last night where he's, like, diving right 
elevating, getting his feet down. It was so impressive. I've been a fan of him ever since Clemson. I remember when they drafted Hunter Renfro. I'm like, that's a steal. And it looks like he's just a very, he's not a star, but he's a solid player. They're like, hey, he's worth the money you pay him. He's not, he's not very expensive. He, you know, he's, and he's just a, he's really, really adds a good element to that offense. He's reliable. You trust him. And I really like Hunter Renfro. Now, uh, note number three, it was really cool to see Tyson, uh, Tyson T-Y apostrophe S-O-N, Tyson Williams have a long 35-yard touchdown run. Like, ah, dude, I love that guy. He's an undrafted rookie free agent. And I'm like, he's from BYU. And you're like, this kid is awesome. I love his story. I love that he's playing. He, he got an opportunity. You know, the top three running backs of the Ravens all get hurt. And here he is, Tyson Williams, making plays week one for the Baltimore Ravens on Monday Night Football. And you're like, dude, what a really, really cool thing to see. Now, note number four, uh, I loved watching the Raiders owner, Mark Davis, celebrating. He, he, next, sitting next to him was Charles Woodson, the former Raider great. Uh, and I love seeing him hang out with that. I, I don't know if you know this about the Raiders culture. I would imagine that Al Davis started this. Mark, Mark Davis has done a great job continuing it, if that is, in fact, that something Al Davis started. But I know that the way the Raiders operate now, and I would think Al Davis started this because he loved his players. He loved having the community. But Mark Davis does a really good job reaching out and caring for and having a cool community with all the former Raiders players. And I love seeing that. I love watching, you know, Mark Davis celebrating the victory with Charles Woodson. I'm like, oh, wow, how cool is that to see? And I know that, you know, based on the new stadium, the move they made, the new practice facility, that that stadium packed last night, like people going crazy, overtime win. Al Davis would have loved that. Mark Davis's dad would have been very, very proud of what his son has done recently. And, uh, I don't know, man. I, I find myself endeared to this Raiders team this year. I, I don't have a favorite team. People always assume I have a favorite team. I don't. But I, this is one of the only teams, like Carolina, I really like what they're doing. And, and by the, for the record, I really like people in sports. I, don't, I, like, uh, I grew up, I really liked the Seattle Supersonics, and then they left. And that was the moment I learned, hey, screw having a favorite team. All they can do is hurt you. So I'm, I'm scarred for life with that. I was a Mariners fan. They abused me over and over again. I don't have a favorite team, but I look at Derek Carr, Great dude, really compelling. Uh, John Gruden is this guy who he's in year four. Ah, man, I, I don't know if he's going to work. I hope he. I really, really hope that John Gruden works. And I, I can't tell you with a straight face that I believe in him. I, I, I just am hoping because I really like him as a human being. His, his broadcasting, his personality. Like you can tell, he loves football. He's a bit of a control freak, but I really, I find myself rooting for John Gruden, rooting for Derek Carr. I love the moment when, when Lamar Jackson fumbled in overtime. Derek Carr and Darren Waller on the sideline, like hugging each other and like, oh, and the way they looked at each other, they were so happy. And I, I love that. And I just find myself really, um, and I can't, I can't take, you know, I always try to acknowledge my bias. I just want the Raiders to be good. I want it to work. And I don't know if it will. It's, it's been four years of misery. And, and yes, Derek Carr, sorry, John Gruden, excuse me, the head coach got there. They were a bad football team. He's been trying to turn it around and Cleveland Farrell, a draft pick didn't really work out. They hired Mike Mayock as GM. Like it's not been amazing, but I would really, really like to see the people there in Vegas do well and succeed. Okay. Uh, now the highlight of Monday night football for me, if you ask me, like it was Peyton Manning and Eli Manning broadcasting an alternate broadcast on ESPN2. A lot of people didn't even know that was happening. I put it on my Instagram story like, dude, Peyton and Eli are killing it. And people were messaging like, wait, what? that's happening? Like apparently ESPN didn't market this at all. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they don't want to, maybe ESPN feels kind of awkward. Like they don't want to point people to an alternate broadcast. Because I think if people knew that existed, it would dominate the rating. People are like, I would wear it. Because I hate, 
I don't hate it's, it's a very strong term. I very much find the Monday Night Football broadcasters and, and the, the whole production a bit stuffy, definitely boring, uh, not my cup of tea. And watching Peyton Manning and Eli Manning do it is so much fun. I love that. And people are like, where can I find it? So let me be clear. I, I don't know that they're doing every game this year. I, I heard that they're only doing 10 games this year and, and 10 games every year until 2023. Then they have a new contract negotiation. Um, I, so I don't think they're doing it every Monday Night Football game. But every time there's a Monday Night Football game on, if you're on your TV, just double-check ESPN2 because I, I, I think they're doing 10 games this year. I don't know which 10. They don't say it. It's really frustrating. I'm like, I can't find that information anywhere. I'm like, why can't I? And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe it is every week. But I just recommend next time you're watching Monday Night Football, double-check ESPN2 because a way better broadcast might be going on. And I got to say, it was amazing. I am never watching the regular Monday Night Football broadcast ever again. It is so much better. Peyton kind of is the driving force. He leads the show. Eli kind of just BSs and hangs out and he's got some interesting analysis, but uh, you know, the guests like Russell Wilson and Eli Manning were kind of veering off course and Peyton had to steer back and be like, wait, no guys, like we got it. Let's talk about the game. And it was, and it, it worked though. Like Peyton's a straight man who I, I never would have thought that right. Eli, I, I did not expect to love Eli Manning as much as I did. I'm like, dude, this guy's funny. Like his commentary on the shirtless fans made me laugh. He's like, you know, at what point does that guy decide to take it off? Like he's like, at what point does he go? That's it. The shirt's coming off. I, I thought that that was freaking hilarious. I really, really enjoyed that commentary. It was amazing. I highly recommend, uh, especially if you're a former football player or you're like a football nerd and you love the game. Uh, they, the way that Peyton Manning and Eli Manning broadcast the game, they, like treat the audience with respect. They know that you know what a first down is. They're not trying to teach you the the rules of the game. It's very it's a, it's like advanced broadcasting. They're like, "No, you know, let's talk about the coverage. Let's break down cover 2." And by the way, there's no play-by-play guy either, which play-by-play on TV is weird and clunky. You know the guy that goes like and by the way, it's a carryover from radio, I'm pretty sure. I don't know the history of that, but I would imagine that Radio started, that's how they used to broadcast football, and they're like, well, let's add a TV element. How do we do that? Well, let's get the radio guys doing, just talking over what they show. And I'm sure that's what happened. Uh, But you don't need a guy. Like, I have eyeballs. When I'm watching the game on TV, I don't need someone going, he's on the 30, the 10, touchdown. I'm like, yeah, dude, I I got it, man. Again, I have eyeballs. I can see what's happening. And if you're blind, it's great. But if not, you're like, I don't don't need you to confirm for me that that's a catch because I saw him catch the pass. And that... It doesn't irritate me. It's just, like I said, it's clunky. It's not negative. Jim Nance is like probably the best in the business out of Jim Nance, Al Michaels, these legendary voices. But I do wonder if, is football going to shift a little bit? Like the Super Bowl will always have play-by-play because you have people that are not deep, intense football fans watching. And it's definitely more accessible to basic people when they describe, it's a first down, it's a catch. Like that stuff helps regular people. But I, I hope we get more of these popping up, like these really interesting side conversations. Like if anyone wants to have me on a show, I would love to, you know, the hard part is you can't live stream the game. You have to also show the game while it's happening. So, you know, ESPN, Fox, they own the rights to these football games. So if anyone, a network wants to reach out and have me talk over a football game, dude, more than happy to do that. I've broadcasted games before. It's really, really fun. And I, I just think the casual style is exactly what you want from a broadcast. Like video games and video game space, they have all these live events and, you see like PlayStation experience get, you know, have all these YouTubers and people live stream their reactions and they, they watch along with the live stream. And like in the, in this, like Apple had their big event today. I'm pretty sure you could go on Twitch today and find a lot of people watching along with the, with the event. And that's because 
Apple doesn't care if you watch it with commentary or not. They want you to watch it. And ESPN is advertising dollars, so they won't allow you to broadcast a game that way. But it was basically like watching Peyton and Eli like live stream a football game. It just chef's kiss. Like it's an amazing, amazing experience. I love it so much. Uh, Russell Wilson came on as a guest late in the fourth quarter. And he was fantastic. It made me wonder, actually, like, would Tom Brady come on during Tom Brady's bye week? Like, I, I would assume when a, with a big game coming up, he's like, hey, Monday night, I'm busy. I got film to watch. But and, and even on his bye week, like, would Tom Brady make time in his schedule between his family and, and his workaholic nature to take an hour aside and, you know, BS about football with Peyton Manning and Eli Manning? I don't know. But if that happens, that's like my dream. I would love to see Peyton and Tom Brady talk over a football game. Are you kidding me? That'd be incredible. So um, I don't know. I loved it, man. Uh, ESPN, like I said, I think it must not have marketed it at all because I knew this because it's my job to know that exists. Like I, I follow all this crap way too deeply. Like I'm like a stalker for sports. Uh, but I think most people didn't know or realize that there was an alternate broadcast happening. Like ESPN, I think it feels awkward and uncomfortable. Like I said, they don't want to point people away from their flagship program. Uh, but I, I think that once people realize that this is out there, Peyton and Eli could get way higher ratings in theory than the regular ESPN broadcast. It's way better. People have been complaining for years about Monday Night Football. And I, I think it's more entertaining to watch. Like, I watch football all day, every day. It's literally my job. And I have never been more entertained and uh, kind of engrossed in the game than when I have Peyton Manning talking while it's happening. A lot of the time, I skip ahead during punts and... I just, these announcers say the dumbest crap. I don't care. I find myself skipping through, like, just wanting to get to the next play, kind of condensing the game myself. I don't like the actual condensed games, like, on NFL.com, because then it's too fast. They don't show any replays. But I find myself often skipping ahead during football when I watch it. I usually try to start a game about an hour later, and then, uh, you know, so that way I can skip all the commercials and skip the boring parts and, and speed watch it, basically. But my goodness, uh, I don't ever want to do that with Peyton and Eli broadcasting because every – like I watch commercials. What the hell? What is that? I, I'd never do that. I usually skip that part. And so it's never boring. It's way more insightful. It's way more fun. It's color commentary the entire time. And uh, Peyton and Eli, what a fantastic home run broadcast. I recommend everybody watch it. It was amazing and uh, really, really good time. All right, let's shift gears. Talk about Derek Carr. Watching Monday Night Football – made me wonder, like, how good is Derek Carr? And where would I rank Derek Carr among other NFL quarterbacks? And I, I believe Derek Carr, the Raiders quarterback, is going to have a really big year. He's like, uh, to me, I look at him like a Tony Romo or a Carson Palmer, a great player who gets a lot of hate and, in my opinion, way more talented than they get credit for. Like, the, the hate is undeserving of Derek Carr. He once had, a like, an MVP caliber year, literally, and yet people... They blame him. I think as a team gets better around Derek Carr, people are going to start to change their feelings about him. The same way I think Matthew Stafford is going to change hearts and minds with his new team around him in L.A. You're like, oh, hey, Derek Carr, or sorry, Matthew Stafford in Detroit with the Lions, horrible. Matthew Stafford with the Rams in L.A., a good football team, good coaching, competent ownership. Oh, wow, it's amazing how much better you are, you are when you actually have help and good people around you. Weird. So I think that'll a similar effect will happen hopefully this year with Derek Carr and the Raiders. Now, one thing I love about Derek Carr is his arm is amazing. He's got this really, really underrated arm. And it's funny. A lot of people like want to run him out of Vegas or they, they want the Raiders to just drop him as their quarterback. And I'm like, that's totally ridiculous. Like, 
<laughs> why, why, why is Derek me getting all this hate for years and years and years? So I, I, I thought to myself, it was like a fun exercise. Okay, which quarterbacks around the NFL would I rather have than Derek Carr? And I don't know if it's like you're given the option one or the other. I just assume like, hey, if I'm building a team and you said Derek Carr or blank, would I pick the other guy or would I pick Derek Carr? And I came up with nine different names that I was like, for sure, 100%, I would pick them over Derek Carr. Now, rookies are not allowed on this list because I, I considered Trey Lance. I considered Zach Wilson, the Jets quarterback, the 49ers quarterback. I love their ability to run. And you'll hear when you listen to this list, like a lot of the guys I pick are there because they can run and they can extend plays. And I would want to coach Zach Wilson and Trey Lance a lot. I, I don't know if they're going to work out. The rookies have got a lot to prove. So I decided, hey, no rookies on this list are allowed. That's kind of weird. Let's just let to see. Let's wait to see if they can prove themselves as NFL quarterbacks before we do that. But in the end, I landed on nine quarterbacks I would rather have than Derek Carr. I put them in alphabetical order because it's not a ranking. I don't want people to be like, oh, he picked this guy number one. And so they're all alphabetical except for one. I put Kyler Murray ahead of Mahomes because I think the, the way it transitions from Murray to Mahomes is better. Um, but these are just quarterbacks I would rather have than Derek Carr in no particular order other than alphabetical order. So number one is Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills quarterback. His potential is amazing. And we saw it last year. I thought he had an MVP caliber year last year. Didn't win. He lost week one. People are like, people already asked the question, like, is Josh Allen bad suddenly? Like, get the heck out of here. That's ridiculous. Uh, the dude can run around. He can make plays that Derek Carr simply cannot make. Uh, he, he's also younger too. Like Josh Allen is one of the best young quarterbacks in the entire NFL. And I would take him over Derek Carr. Number two is Tom Brady from one extreme to the other young youth uh, to age 44 years old, Tom Brady. Uh, so even if I was building a team now and you said, hey, you're going to get eight to 10 more years with Derek Carr. Derek Carr is 30 years old. And you're like, hey, with Derek Carr, you might get eight or eight to 10 more years with him. With Tom Brady, he's 44. You might get two years with Tom Brady. And I'm like, I'll take two years with Tom Brady than 10 with Derek Carr easily because leadership is attention to detail. He elevates the people around him. I love Derek Carr. I think he's been a victim of a bad franchise, but we, we've seen. And look, Brady, the same way, has been elevated by the Patriots were really, really good. Like that, We can't deny that helped Tom Brady throughout his entire career. You can't deny that the Buccaneers uh, elevated Tom Brady because they have amazing receivers and a really good front seven on defense and good uh, offensive line, good coaching, yada, yada. So like every quarterback needs help. I'm not trying to not argue that. But if you said, hey, Zach, you're building a team. You pick every single player on the roster. I, and you said, hey, would you rather have Derek Carr or Tom Brady? Like, there's two people left I can draft. I'm drafting Tom Brady, not Derek Carr. Number three, Justin Herbert. Uh, he's younger than Derek Carr. He's bigger. He's capable of more. He runs better. He's got a massive arm. Pretty straightforward. Like, Justin Herbert has got a higher ceiling, and I think it's, I would draft him and take him over Derek Carr. Number four, Lamar Jackson. And, and I kind of, I guess I'm, I'm realizing now as I talk, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this is like a like a, not a fantasy draft. What's the word? You ever do Madden and you, you, you do a, a whole, a, a draft of the whole league. Maybe that is called a fantasy draft. I don't know, but I, I guess I would take in this situation, Herbert over Carr. And this is how I'm, how I build this list in my head. So the number four quarterback I would take over Derek Carr is Lamar Jackson. This one is pretty close to me. I think they are similarly, similar ability. I think Derek Carr throws the ball a little bit better. And then Lamar Jackson is just, the difference to me is Lamar is way, way better at extending plays and running around. His ability to make explosive plays running the football is a big difference here. And it's kind of funny, like, one of my limitations for Derek Carr is that he simply can't run around and extend plays. And I, I like my quarterbacks to do that. I think if I'm a coach and I'm building a team, I'm like, well, 
Lamar or Derek, like Lamar is more explosive. He can just do more literally than Derek Carr can. And that's why number five is Kyler Murray. Similar reason. Like I'll skip ahead in order. I, I know technically Mahomes is next alphabetically, but Kyler Murray, uh, I would take for the same reason as Lamar. Like Kyler has an even better arm than Lamar Jackson, in my opinion. Kyler Murray, the dude is electric running the football. It's unbelievable what he can do. Go watch the Titans game from the other day. I only watched one highlight from that entire game. I'm, I'm excited to watch that tomorrow, hopefully. But <laughs> the one highlight I saw from this football game is Kyler making like four people missing the backfield, running around, flipping his hips, making a throw downfield into a tight window. And you're like, that's un freaking believable that Kyler Murray can do that. And look, I like Derek Carr. He can't do that. And so I would rather coach Kyler Murray than Derek Carr. Quarterback number six is an easy and obvious one. Uh, number six is Patrick Mahomes. There's no argument here. I, I, I like Derek. Patrick Mahomes, in contrast, is the best quarterback in the entire NFL. There literally isn't even a conversation to be had here. Uh, he can do more. The ability of Patrick Mahomes to win with a struggling offensive line or even a bad offensive line is unreal. And the, this like the Patrick Mahomes made a throw the other day where he was rolling to his right, launches it way down the right sideline. Tyreek Hill catches it, runs for a touchdown. You're like, that's just, I love Derek. That's not even a possibility for Derek Carr. So Patrick Mahomes clearly way better quarterback than Derek Carr. And I don't even need to, like, do I need to convince people of that? Come on. Number seven, I would rather have Aaron Rodgers than Derek Carr. Derek Carr is kind of like diet Aaron Rodgers. Like he's, he's Aaron Rodgers light and they have a skill, similar skill set. Aaron is just way better. He's got better footwork. Aaron has a better deep ball. Aaron is more accurate on back shoulder throws along the sideline. I prefer Derek as a leader. And that's just very, that's highly, highly subjective. I just know that I like the attitude of Derek Carr a little more than I like the approach of Aaron Rodgers, but that's literally like the only category where, Derek Carr is even arguably better than Aaron. And that's not even like <laughs> most things are like, hey, Aaron is just a way better thrower of the football than Derek Carr. With that, it's a little bit subjective. Like you can have at least a debate there, but it's the only thing that's even debatable between Aaron and Derek Carr. Number eight, I would actually rather have Matthew Stafford than Derek. Uh, he's better late in games, in my opinion. Like the fourth quarter comebacks that Matthew Stafford has put together in his career demand respect the the broken ribs game or whatever whatever happened like punctured lung there was some game where i, I I'm, I'm forgetting it now and maybe it was a was it a broken thumb there was something that i, I can't remember the, i've seen the video though where he's holding his arm you know what it was it was, it was matthew stafford separated his shoulder right like i, I that's i now that i think about it, that's what it he's holding his shoulder running down like i got it i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine and he runs one play throws a game-winning touchdown or maybe he jumped over like he, whatever he did i'm remembering this so horribly but i remember matthew stafford so tough that he dislocated his shoulder and went in for one more play, scored the game-winning touchdown, then walked off the field. So look, I, I trust Matthew Stafford way more than Derek Carr. It's, they have a similar skill set, uh, but Stafford is better. The final quarterback I would take rather than Derek Carr is Russell Wilson. Think about it. Uh, and, and as I do, I encourage you to think about this. I think about it myself. And, and I, I kind of... I, <laughs> I, this is how I, I feel so dumb. I screwed up my predictions so bad. I, I predicted the Seattle Seahawks go six and eleven. Mother flip! Like why? Why did I do that? Now that I think about it, because I, I, I just talked about how Mahomes can elevate a team, and so can Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is the second best quarterback in the entire NFL, and that's there's no contest. The only quarterback you would rather have in the entire NFL than Russell Wilson is Patrick Mahomes, and that's it. So Russell Wilson demands a lot of respect. He can extend plays. He can carry his team. So. Easily to take Russell over Derek Carr. And those are the nine quarterbacks I would take 
over Derek Carr. Let's see if I can remember them. <laughs> Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Matthew Stafford, and Aaron Rodgers. Those are the nine. Uh, now, there are a couple of guys I want to mention. In my mind, I, I just put a, a, a tie across the board. I couldn't decide. Would I rather have Joe Burrow or Derek Carr? I'm like, ah, well, they both need help, and I, I think they're both really, really similar. Dak Prescott has elevated himself a lot. I would, he's on par with Derek Carr, in my opinion. Like, I don't know. It's not, it's, they're so close. I don't want to make that. I just don't care enough to make that debate. Uh, Matt Ryan might be a guy where, like, Derek Carr, Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, and Matt Ryan are all just tied across the board. Like, they're the, all the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. So Derek Carr, to me, is like the 10th or 11th or 12th best quarterback in the league. And uh, the idea, though, the, the point of this topic is not to, like, kind of cut him down. The point is to say, when you think about it, Derek Carr is fantastic. And the idea that the Raiders should get rid of him is, is laughable. I'm a big fan of the guy, and Derek Carr deserves more respect. Okay, uh, final topic before we go to break. Eight key players got hurt week one of the NFL season around the league. And obviously more than eight people got hurt during week one. But these are eight guys who are now out of their starting lineup, and uh, it's going to really impact their team. Now, uh, if your team lost a key player that I'm not going to mention here, feel free to write in. Um, I, like, I, I am constantly paranoid that I can't keep track of everything. I do my best I can. I literally, like, I don't sleep. I have notebooks. Every, you can see it behind me, like, notebook, notebook, everywhere. They're all full of notes. It's insane. And I'm constantly paranoid about missing information. So if there's someone, hey, like I, I don't, I forget on this list, please write it in because it helps me like learn. And then anyone who's watching this video on YouTube can look at the comments and get more information. So feel free to write in if there's a person you think I left off of this list. But okay, player number one, Jets left tackle Makai Becton is out for four to six weeks. Is getting, uh, he needs arthroscopic knee surgery, uh, which means basically you have to shove a small camera into his knee and then remove damaged cartilage and clean up his knee. So that's really brutal. Think about that. Like, you know, <laughs> common fans need to remember to respect NFL players because their bodies get destroyed. Like the thought that he's getting arthroscopic knee surgery. And then a month later, Makai Becton is expected to probably play in an NFL game at like, what, 300-something pounds on those knees. It's crazy to me to play after that surgery so quickly. So just... As you listen to this list, give a, and as you go through the entire year, make sure you give more respect to NFL players in general. And then number two and number three are both uh, 49ers players. So uh, player number two is 49ers corner Jason Verrett. He tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Uh, it's really rough to lose a starter week one. Again, unfortunately, the 49ers lost two of them. Jason Verrett, their corner, and then uh, number three, their running back, Raheem Mostert. And I saw someone, it's a horrible joke, they said, Raheem most hurt like oh that's brutal i i hate to make fun of the guy i'm not trying to but that is a weird play on words with his last name uh ricky mostert has chipped cartilage in his knee he's out for the year and uh, as a result the 49ers are bringing in former ryan's running back carry on johnson and adding him to their team it's kind of a weird thought like against the lions <laughs> raheem mostert gets injured and that in turn gives an opportunity for a former lions running back carry on Johnson to get on the team. It's like, it's just a weird coincidence there. Uh, number four, the Broncos also have two starting players out. Number four, Denver Broncos receiver, Jerry Judy is out four to six weeks uh, with a high ankle sprain. Now this is one where there's actually a bright side. Uh, it could have been much worse watching the game live. Like you watch that Giants game. Many people thought it looked for sure. Like Jerry Judy 
broke his ankle and shattered it. You're like, ah! So hearing that it's just a high ankle sprain, like you're like, oh, it's only a high ankle sprain. That's a big relief. Uh, good for Jerry Judy in a weird way. You're like, oh, God, it could have been way worse. Number five, the Broncos also lost their corner, Ronald Darby. Uh, he has a hamstring injury. He's out at least three weeks. Is on the IR. And he could miss more time than that. They said they'll go week to week after three weeks. As a result, though, rookie first-round pick Patrick Sertan, who was drafted number nine overall by Denver. I believe, and that's out of my memory. I'm pretty sure it's nine overall. Uh, they drafted him ahead of Mac Jones and instead of Justin Fields. So Patrick Sertan is now a starter. That's, hey, that's great. I think it justifies picking him. Uh, I really hope he does well because Patrick, Pat Sertan could be an amazing player, like have a great career. And then Broncos fans still might their whole lives be like, we could have had Mac Jones. We could have had Justin Fields. And we drafted this guy who's a good starter, but certainly not doesn't have the impact of a quarterback. Like if you pass on a quarterback for a guy who's not as impactful, that guy better be like a Hall of Fame player. So Patrick Sertan, in my opinion, is in a really tough spot. He's on a quarterback needy team that didn't draft a quarterback. And now we'll see how well Teddy Bridgewater does, but I, I really just hope that I find myself rooting for Pat Sertan if no other reason other than he wants to justify he was drafted and it was deserving. Number six, uh, Lions cornerback and former number three overall pick Jeff Okuda uh, is out for the year. He has a ruptured Achilles tendon, and uh, it sucks. Yeah, he, he's a guy who had... <sighs> Jeff Okuda had a lot to prove. He had a bad rookie year last year, like a brutal, awful, terrible year, and now he's out for the year this year, so he's going to have to wait until next season to prove himself, and many Lions fans are already calling him a bust, so uh, just unfortunate Jeff Okuda out for the year for Detroit. Number seven, uh, massive impact on this one. Washington quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick hurt his hip in week one against the L.A. Chargers. And uh, Fitz will be out six to eight weeks. That's a long time. Uh, he will come back week eight at Denver uh, or more likely, I think, in my opinion, week 10 against Tampa. Week nine, Washington has a bye week. It's a great time to bring back your guy. He's got a week off to rest and practice a little bit then come back and play the next week, week 10. Uh, that's a good timeline, I think, to expect Ryan Fitzpatrick back. If he's really healthy and they're losing and they need him back immediately, maybe he comes back week six, but I think it's more or week eight against Denver. It's more likely he'll come back week 10 against Tampa, in my opinion. Now, it sucks, dude. I had high hopes for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, I thought he was like poised to be exactly what Washington needed at quarterback, and now he's going to miss a massive chunk of the season. He's 39 years old. It could be damning. It could be the end of it. This, this could be the last year of his career simply because he's shown he can't be available. So next man up at quarterback for Washington is Taylor Henneke. He started, remember, the playoff game against Tampa last year and did really well. Had two touchdowns, one rushing, one throwing. He almost beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. And imagine if the Buccaneers lose to Washington in the playoffs. The, the cascading effect, like, you probably see Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl instead of the Buccaneers. And, <laughs> like, the, the impact that had, if, if Washington almost won that game, and that was because of Taylor Henneke now, uh, because of that game and that game alone, he got a two-year contract, $4 million-something dollars, like, pretty big for a backup quarterback, actually. Very good for him. Uh, and now he gets another chance to prove himself. Like, was that a fluke, that one game? Or is Taylor Henneke actually a good quarterback who could potentially be the future of the Washington football team? We'll see. I'm rooting for him to do well. I want to see... Taylor Henneke do very, very well. He plays uh, on Thursday Night Football. Washington plays the Giants this upcoming week in week two. Should be very, very fun. Uh, now, finally, number eight. On Monday Night Football, the Raiders guard, uh, starting guard Denzel Good 
is out for the year after tearing his ACL. That's a brutal thing. Uh, really exciting win on Monday Night Football, but losing one of your starting offensive linemen, that puts a cloud over the victory for sure. So again, uh, write in with any important injuries you think I left out. There might be a guy or two that I, I, I can't get. I'm doing, I do my best, and I, I really try to be very professional. I work my absolute tail off. Uh, but if there's anybody I missed, write in, let me know. Uh, you know, one honorable mention, for example, is Brown's left tackle, Jedrick Wills. He injured his uh, left ankle, and he's day-to-day, though, so I don't know if he's actually going to miss any time. We'll see. I expect him to play in week two, but if there's anybody you think I left out, feel free to write in. Uh, I want to give a, a sad shout-out. Um, first of all, a couple things. Go watch the video on Adam Schefter's Instagram. I couldn't find it anywhere else, but Adam Schefter made a video and interviewed Robert Sala. And it's a, it's a breakdown of, and it probably aired on ESPN Sports Center somewhere like that. Uh, but it's a it's a breakdown and a story of Robert Sala and his brother. Robert Sala was in one of the towers during nine eleven, and that really changed Robert Sala's entire life. He almost lost his brother. That part literally, I was crying because my brother died a couple of years ago, so I was crying watching that. And then the way he transformed it into motivation, where he now he, he he's a football coach. Because of 9-11, literally, that, that moment really shaped his whole perspective. And I, that's why I broadcast. Like, that's why I'm a, a YouTuber and a podcast host is because my brother died, and it really changed my entire perspective on the world. So I, that really made me cry, and it was very moving. Go find it. Uh, Adam Schefter's Instagram page, Robert Solly. Scroll down a little while. You'll find it. Uh, another story, comedian Norm MacDonald. This is not related to sports at all, but he died today at 61 years old. Died of cancer. And Norm MacDonald was hilarious. One of my favorite comedians uh not pc he didn't care i think i think that's comedy's fun when there's no rules you can say whatever you want i, I look up norm mcdonald deeply closeted larry king those, those six words norm mcdonald deeply closeted larry king that's a hilarious like little moment uh, i saw that uh, on youtube a while back and there will never be anybody like norm mcdonald it's very sad and uh, the dude made me laugh which is such a gift to have someone who can make you laugh and I appreciated what Norm MacDonald brought to the world a lot. He was one of my favorite comedians. And uh, also, he was hilarious in Weekend Update. So, um, Norm MacDonald, man, uh, may he forever rest in peace. That, that gave, gave me a really sad feeling today, uh, just looking around the world news. Uh, now, I want to take a short break. When I return, we will do Ask Zach and get out of here. I think I'm just going to – we're at 47 minutes. That's a long episode already. Uh, I, I haven't watched the Bengals and Vikings game. I'm doing that tomorrow, I guess. The Steelers-Bills I want to watch. I'll break down quarterbacks hopefully Friday. A lot of good stuff ahead. I love you. I appreciate you. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, ask Zach. All right, we are back. Welcome in. Uh, I want to tell you some personal news first. I have a canker sore right here. It hurts so bad. It's like not fun at all to talk. I want to get through this uh, in a timely fashion but also be thoughtful uh now in case you do not know how it works it's now time for ask zach which i love i i I have i it's my favorite part of the show it's where i answer questions from the audience in case you do not know how it works you go to patreon.com forward slash zach shomler you give a dollar a month you can give more if you want to please do it literally does help pay my rent but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on patreon now if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to read it on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple to read them on the show. I'm going to be honest. So my thought was, okay, I thought I would do a week one video or a podcast. This would be episode two. And then I'd answer all the questions from Ask Zach. 
And as I've thought about it, I realize a lot of the questions you guys asked, really good questions, are about games I still have not watched yet. And what I don't want to do is give answers that are not thoughtful. Like, I don't want to BS you guys and be like, well, and pretend I watched a game I didn't watch and give, like, unthoughtful, boring answers. And so I am going to wait until I'm informed for a lot of stuff. But I have a whole list of questions that kind of correlate with games I'm going to watch tomorrow and Friday. And, yes, we're still going to talk about week one on Friday a little bit. Like, lots of good stuff. Uh, Friday will probably be analyzing rookie quarterbacks and then also talking about the Thursday night football game between Washington and New York, which should be really interesting. I can't wait to do that. So anyway, question number one today is from the ham man. He says, first person to write in about Seattle. So brace yourself. All of your concerns are valid, but I think you missed the bottom line. They score more points than the other team. Most of the time we're inconsistent and have many holes in our roster particularly on defense, but ultimately Russell can throw a 50-yard touchdown pass to DK Metcalf the next drive. What I just wrote might make might all be BS, but I think you probably underestimated them. Yeah, dude, I totally agree. Um, and I don't know that I underestimated them. There, there's two people I underestimated in this moment. Um, and not even under... Uh, the new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron, hired out of uh, the LA Rams organization, might be the real deal. I, I was really impressed with him. What I saw, I'm like, oh, man creative, exciting, fun, and, and clearly, like, I, I, th- I think Russell Wilson has been waiting for a long, long time for some new infusion of creative stuff in their offense, and he got exactly what he wanted. Now, here is the person I underestimated in Seattle, and I, I feel, look, man, like, all I can do is own it, and I can't, I can't go back. Like, if I could change a couple things in my predictions, knowing what I know now, and we're only one game in, we'll see where we're at, in, like, week 10, I really wish I'd gone with my gut, and, and and that's the problem, right? It wasn't informed. It was based on – it would have been guessing, which I don't like guessing. But I felt really, really good about Denver. And I think Denver might – if Teddy plays well, like I've said all offseason, if Teddy does well, dude, it's going to be a home run. They might even win a Super Bowl. Like, And then I, I should have been – I kind of played it both sides with Jameis Winston. I really was like, well, this, well, that, and I should have – Again, but like hindsight 50-50, right? Like, or 2020, 2020. <laughs> I, I really, what I don't want to do is guess. And, and I, knowing what I knew, I was like, well, it could go well with Jameis. And I didn't pick that side because I just didn't know. Uh, and you, you can't know what you don't know. Now, one thing I was, I did know that where I just, I screwed up is I always talk about how Patrick Mahomes is really, really good at elevating his team and elevating the people around him. And, and as you know, even if he has a bad offensive line, he can still win. Russell Wilson is the same exact way. And, and Russell Wilson is the number two quarterback in the entire league. And I just think that I really, it's funny how like I've always said about Russell Wilson, like I, you got to give him credit. He's fantastic. He's very underrated. Like, and I've always talked about praising him, but when it came to my moment of truth and I was like, well, do you believe in Russ or not? Can he elevate this football team? I said no, and it's like, ah, oh, man, it's just not true. Like, clearly Russell Wilson can overcome any small roster holes they have. Like, any problems on that roster, he can make it all work and figure it out. So that is my big regret with the Seattle Seahawks prediction I made. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to – I left my water. <laughs> I, I want my water here, so give me one second. All right, uh, Raphael writes in. I see my ears. I never let my ears show on the show. I just wear my headphones. Uh, Raphael writes in about 
uh, multiple quarterbacks. He says, hey, Zach, what is your opinion on rotating quarterbacks during games? I saw the 49ers and Dolphins use this tactic with some success this week. Could this become a trend as more teams have talented quarterback duos across the league? Thanks for reading. And then, <laughs> oh, et un placer de te écouter. I don't, I don't, I can't speak. Is that French? I don't actually know. I, I don't know. I think, I think that's French, but I, I, Raphael, I appreciate you writing in. Um, it makes sense to use multiple quarterbacks the way that San Francisco and Chicago did because they did it on certain plays and had certain packages created specifically for Justin Fields and Trey Lance, guys who have really outstanding skill sets and ability to run the football. Basically, like they put Trey Lance in the 49ers did. And it's almost like a wildcat set where you are you can run quarterback power with Trey Lance, and you don't know. It really forces you to hesitate when you're defending him. But then what happened was they just had him, like, I, I actually, I don't remember, but what I'd love to see from Trey Lance is him take, like, a step down towards the line of scrimmage like he's going to run, pop up, and throw a touchdown pass. That's, that's going to happen at some point with Trey Lance, like the old Tim Tebow play at Florida. Now, Trey Lance did throw a touchdown pass. I don't, in my head, I don't think he actually did that step forward. But, I mean, you can really fake that. And, dude, linebackers are going to come screaming down. When Trey Lance starts to look like he's going to run full steam down towards the line of scrimmage, man, people are going to bite really hard on that fake. You, you you sell like you're blocking, tight end, like flips through, bam, flip your hips, George Kittle touchdown. Like, that is an amazing thought. Um, and so, is this going to happen more? I, I don't think so. I think it's really just an excuse to, well, two things are happening here, right? They want to get their young rookie quarterback on the field. They also recognize, like, hey, his skill set is amazing. Justin Fields can run the ball like a running back. Trey Lance can run the ball like a running back. Let's not waste what they have. Let's just create certain plays that's only for them on the goal line or whatever, in whatever situation you're talking about. And, I mean, that makes total sense to me. I like that a lot. Um, normally, I would say don't use multiple quarterbacks. But in this situation, because it's clear, like, hey, Justin is going to eventually be the guy and Trey Lance is eventually going to be the guy. So let's get a chance to get him on the field a little bit as much as we can. Uh, hope that makes sense. Gabe writes, and this really excites me. He says, Broncos fan here. And all I have to say is, wow. How about Teddy Bridgewater? I've been saying for a while that this team has great potential and it all comes down to the quarterback position. Now that we've seen how Teddy can make quick reads, be mobile under pressure and throw bombs when they're open. Do you think the Broncos become a playoff contender or are you waiting to see how we do against better competition than the Giants? Okay, it's both, right? Uh, I, I want to see them play against a better football team for sure. Like, I, uh, Can they beat the LA Chargers? Can they beat the Kansas City Chiefs on the road? Like, I don't know. It will be fun to find out. Um, and, and maybe it's a one-hit wonder. Like, maybe Teddy had a great game, and it's not really going to consistently play. He's not going to consistently play like that the rest of the year. I personally am starting to think this is a Kurt Warner situation. Kurt Warner was a veteran quarterback, played with the Rams, then the Giants behind Eli Manning. And he still had something left in the tank, and the NFL wasn't done with him. And the stars kind of aligned. He was at the very top of his game. He was on a great football team. It all worked out, and that feels very similar to what's happening here with Teddy. Like, again, I want to see them play against a better team, but Teddy was really getting... I've never seen Teddy have that strong of an arm in a football game. He, like, th his mechanics are improved. He looks actually a lot like, mechanically, like Drew Brees. Watch a Drew Brees corner ball. Like, he threw a couple into tight windows 
that's textbook Drew Brees stuff. And I know he played behind him for a while. He must study his game. I don't know. But we saw progression of Teddy Bridgewater from last year to literally just one game last week. His footwork, his arm talent, and, and I mean, like, his mechanics, the way he's getting himself behind the ball. Like, he was driving the ball really well downfield, better than I've seen in his entire career. And so it's not really surprising to see him make good decisions, but what's really surprising is how how strong his arm looked and how mobile he looked. I haven't seen Teddy Bridgewater run around like that, maybe since he was a rookie. And, and, and I think that's what's exciting about this is that could this be like that, 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 that thought of like, man, what if Teddy can show the world what could have been? Like, what if he can say, hey, I got hurt in Minnesota. My career took a crazy left turn. But if that hadn't happened, I would have been a franchise quarterback in Minnesota. And maybe he can become one here. Like, I, I just think, like, how can you hate the story of Teddy Bridgewater? It's so compelling, man. Like, this guy getting redemption and restarting his career potentially on a fantastic football team. Um, and also, man, uh, he's extremely likable. I like Teddy Bridgewater a lot, the human being. Like, his interviews are fantastic. He's so real and honest and humble. And I, I just love the guy. And uh, I, and then also, the offensive coordinator in Denver is really good. They got a great offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer, who, remember, went to the NFC title game with Case Keenum. So he can win with quarterbacks that are not necessarily amazing. You just got to get it, you know, good decision-making, make some good throws. Teddy can do all that. And I, I, yeah, I walked away. I was very, very impressed with Teddy Bridgewater after week one. It's one game. Like, I don't want to overreact. I probably am already, but I was just like, man, um, dude, this could work like this dog will hunt. And I think the other thing is he really was, I don't I don't trust Drew Locke, like the backup quarterback, the guy who we thought might be the guy. Teddy's a way, way more consistent decision maker, and that just is so valuable for a team that all, that's really all they need. Someone who can distribute, play point guard, and not screw up big time. And that's what Teddy brings to Denver. I, I just, I'm really starting to, it's one game, I'm probably overreacting, right? But I, what I saw, I really, really liked. And even, see, even that, I can't even commit to it yet. I still am like, I, uh, part of it too is I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't even care about being wrong. Like I get hated on for every single thing I ever said. Like today I was doing a topic earlier about how the ball went through Willie Sneed's hands and some guy commented like, well, actually, uh, technically, technically it didn't touch his hand. They bounced off a helmet. And I'm like, D who cares a flip, dude, you you're digging into minutia and people always argue with me about the stupidest little things. So I'm not really afraid of being wrong. If I say Teddy's going to win a Super Bowl and I'm wrong, who cares, right? Like, I, I, But I, I know the thing that it's holding me back here is I want it to happen. Like, I, I really want that. I'm rooting for that. And I, I, I'm, I'm getting emotionally invested. And that's where I'm like, oh, I better, I better back off and be measured and make sure that I'm saying stuff because I believe it and because it's possible, not because I just want it to happen. I don't want to be that guy who is just talking about wishful thinking all the time. I try to be calculated and smart. So I, I'm sensing emotional compromisation uh, with my Teddy Bridgewater analysis. Alex writes in, and not analysis, like that's what I mean though. I, I, I got to catch it before I start saying stuff because I want it to happen, not because I believe, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like I'm catching it early, so I'm, going, I'm trying to be like very thoughtful and intentional of, hey, don't let your emotions get in the way of, you know, properly analyzing how good or bad Teddy Bridgewater is. That makes sense to me. Alex writes in, 
He says, as a lifelong Rams fan, <laughs> after watching Jared Goff besides his one good year, Sam Bradford and his ACLs and ankle sprains, and even all the way back to Mark Bolger, it is finally nice to be proud of your quarterback. Matthew Stafford is everything I could ever hope for. And I hope him and McVay continue the season like they did yesterday. Talking about Chicago Bears game. I will be at the Rams-Colts game next week wearing my new Stafford jersey as well. Alex, hell yeah. Have a good time. I mean, I would imagine that's how Chicago feels, right? Bears fans are like, we've had Rex Grossman, Jay Cutler, Kyle Orton. Like, they're just desperate. Mitchell Trubisky. It's been a long time since the Rams had... Kurt Warner really was the last time they had a quarterback where we were like, that dude is incredible. I, I remember the, what was it, Kellen, God, the kid from Oregon, Kellen something. Like, just boring, bad quarterbacks year after year after year. And finally, they got their dude. So, Alex, I just, my encouragement is enjoy the game, wear your jersey, be proud, and enjoy the party, dude. L.A., I think, is going to be popping. Are you going to SoFi Stadium? I hope you are. If not, what, where is that game? Let me find out. It might be in Indian, Indianapolis, but I, I really want to find that out. Because if you're going to SoFi, Rams versus Colts. It is... Come on, where's the game? It's at Indy. Okay, so... Hey, Lucas Oil Stadium is still amazing. Dude, have fun. Wear your jersey and, and just enjoy, enjoy that moment. That'll be really, really cool for you. I'm very happy for you. Teddy says... Hi, Zach. Have you seen the untold series of documentaries on Netflix? Specifically the one titled crime and penalties if you haven't i would strongly recommend it if i can sell you on it a bit it has to do with a mafia run minor league hockey team with a 17 year old gm so teddy i I read your question and was like whoa (laughs) what is that and i looked it up the trailer's crazy untold crime and penalties i think it's about crime and hockey penalties probably it's a great title actually the kid is like a real life tony soprano they even say that in the trailer and he's being investigated by the FBI, and he's paying off his players. And I'm like, oh, dude, I am all in on that. It looks fantastic. Now, I probably won't watch it until the offseason because I'm, I'm slammed. I'm really busy. But I have a whole uh, – I have my – let me – behind me, as you can see, like, right? If you're watching on YouTube, behind me, there's a red folder right there, right under the SOS logo. Uh, it has, like, 40 pieces of paper that are, like, things to remember. And I have one of the papers in there is a list of sports documentaries to watch and then make topics about and cover on the show. I added that to my list. Teddy, that looks awesome. Thank you for the recommendation. Well done, my friend. Uh, a bear writes in, says, Hi, Zach. First of all, I got to say, I've been with you all along on the Matthew Stafford trade. Dude is amazing, and it was so satisfying to see him light it up with the Rams. Second, in Monday Night Football, John Gruden made some strange decisions and overtime that could have cost his team the game. He brought out the field goal unit too late, causing a delay of game penalty that pushed him out of, a, out of field goal range and then brought the offense back on. They scored a touchdown on the next play, so that weird sequence will be forgotten. But it was strange to say the least. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, it, it was unprepared and, and very disorganized uh, to clearly you needed to kick a field goal. And then they didn't, and they had a delayed game penalty, and the kicker, like, didn't even know he was supposed to be kicking. Is that on him? That's on John Gruden for, like, not organizing your players better, not having a better system of how to kick field goals, and the whole thing was bizarre. And imagine, like, they basically iced their own kicker, and they were like, well, let's just go for it on third, on whatever down instead. They throw a touchdown pass. It was crazy, but it's like, 
just the word I think of is clunky. It's just really, really disorganized and clunky and a bad look. And it certainly, it did not inspire any confidence. I like John Gruden a lot. I love Derek Carr. It's hard to be like, I can't pound the table for this coaching staff because they, they've been so weird and inconsistent and not great. And so I hope I'm wrong, but I, I, it's really, and I, I, I want them to win. I just don't know that I believe they will win yet. Griffin writes in with some blasphemy. He says, hey, Zach, what a crazy Monday night football game. Personally, this beats the Rams-Chiefs game a few years back and how exciting it was for me personally. I was just wondering your thoughts on Carr's ability, blah, 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 blah. I can't even hear what you wrote after that because I disagree so strongly. This game was top-heavy. It was a good game. It was like a fantastic football game. Absolutely. But that Rams-Kansas City Chiefs game a couple years ago, Rams were in the, the yellow jerseys. Samson Ibacom, my former high school teammate, had two touchdowns on defense. And maybe that's why I love that game so much. I don't know. It was like 55 to 52. Unbelievable. Just back and forth and back and forth. Way more fun. Like, frankly, I, 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 I thought that the weakness of this game, like if you look at it from a storyline perspective, the first and second quarter were really slow and not very exciting. And it got better. And there, But it really, like, this game was at its peak from the – about the eight-minute mark in the fourth quarter on. That's the best part of that game. Whereas that, that Rams-Kansas City game was just amazing the entire time. And back and forth and back and forth. You don't know who's going to win. You don't know who's going to win. And this game had a great ending, but it wasn't a great game, in my opinion, frankly. Like I, it was kind of like mundane and okay until really, Lamar Jackson scores that touchdown to go up 24-17. to 17. And then six minutes off, Derek Carr gets the ball. And, and maybe maybe it started with a fumble from Lamar, but either way, like it, it, the sequence was great. But it started with Ravens touchdown up twenty four seventeen. Derek Carr gets the ball with six minutes left, scores a touchdown really quickly, ties the game again. And you're like, oh, here we got one. And from that point on, what a phenomenal ending! But a great ending, not great game, if you ask me. Let me look at the rest of your question, see if it's worth entertaining. No offense, I just I, that's the part of that stuck in my craw. I was wondering your thoughts on Carr's ability, the Ravens' defense, and everything in between. I'm sure you'll cover this game regardless of how could you not. Yeah, so I, I covered that really, really heavily the entire episode. Basically, it's about that. I'm not going to retread those thoughts, but I, I just – I picked this question because I was like, You're, are you effing kidding me? Like, that game was not better than Kansas City Rams a couple years ago. Like, no, 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 no. It just was had a, had a great ending. But it wasn't a great, complete game start to finish the entire time, in my opinion. It just had a really, really interesting, exciting, and, and albeit unbelievable ending. Final question of the day. Allie writes in says, Hi, Zach. I hope you're doing well. I have some fun facts for you and your audience. Thank you, Allie. Number one, the tallest man ever recorded was American Robert Wadlow. He was born in 1918 and died in his early 20s in 1940 after injuring his ankle, which caused a massive infection because of his size. He stood 8 feet 11 tall. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and loved to play basketball. He was so tall because of an ab- abnormally lar- enlarged, it's a hard, abnormally enlarged, this is a hard word, pituitary gland. Today, this issue can be controlled with medis- medication. I've heard about it. There's a guy, pituitary, pit, ooh. Pituitary gland. Let's find out. Google's listening, dude. It literally predicted that. It's a small bean-shaped gland situated at the base of your brain. Oh, wow. So that's – it regulates growth and blood pressure and reproduction. So 
the, basically his brain was telling him, you got to keep growing. You got to keep growing, probably giving him chemicals to make him grow. I'm not a scientist. Don't listen to what I'm saying. I realize I should probably shut the hell up. <laughs> Number two, the oldest American ever was named Sarah, geez, N K N A U S S. I'm going to say Nas. She was born 15 years after the Civil War ended, and she, yet she died two days before January 1st, 2000. Wait, what? Oh, my gosh. She died in 1999 and was born 15 years after the Civil War. That's so long. That's unbelievable. That's so, that's, she, she was 119 years old. I like to think about the old people she knew when she was a child or what football was like when she was a kid. Yeah, she she saw the entire the Roaring Twenties. The she saw everything. That's that's a really interesting life. I would have loved to. That's the kind of people you got to interview and talk to, in my opinion. Number three, the first college football game was played on November sixth, eighteen sixty nine, between Rutgers and Princeton, then known as the College of New Jersey and New Brunswick. New Jersey Rutgers, uh, New, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Rutgers won six to four. LOL. And 100 people were in attendance. So it was like a club game. Dude, old football sucks. It's not interesting. It's not fun. It's worse than rugby, actually, in my opinion. Like old, like old, old. You ever seen video of like old ass, terrible football? It's just not. I, I, I'm sorry, but quarterbacks make the game like way better. And, and the fact that it's just, it's just like running the ball the entire time. And I, I can't get excited about that person. I like throwing the football. So food for thought. <laughs> the these Allie, I love you, man. These are getting really out there. I, I, I don't mind it though. You, you look if you hate this. We have one, two, three, four, five, six left. If you hate, turn off the show. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna t- read six more weird facts, and then I'm gonna end the show. And if you hate it, you can turn it off. No problem. I think it's fun and interesting. The oldest known living animal is a tortoise named Jonathan, who is approximately 188 years old and still walking the earth. He was born in 1832 and has lived on the island of St. Helena in the Atlantic Ocean since 1882. The turtle's 188 years old. Like, how long can he live, I wonder? Let me look that up. I'm, I'm really having fun with this. How long can sea turtles live? Sea turtles can live up to, nope, that's so, this is a tortoise. It must be a tortoise. How long can tortoises live? Because sea turtles can only live 50 years, it says. Which is, like, impressive, but not that. Tortoises live. Tortoises can live 50 to 100 years. So this is just... What? Can turtles live up to 500 years? No, they can't. So this is just an abnormal turtle. I, I don't understand where... Some have been known to live for more than 200 years. Wow, I just... What the heck? That's such a... Like a prehistoric animal. It's just weird to me. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sorry I'm rambling. I, I probably not even... I hope this is interesting. I probably not. Well, the 2021 NBA Finals averaged 10 million viewers. Week one of the NFL opener <laughs> this year had over 24 million viewers. In other words, the NFL is eating the NBA's lunch. Oh, my God. So 14 million more people watched Buccaneers, Cowboys, than watched the NBA Finals. <laughs> yeah, we're a football country for sure. We don't even, like, basketball's a blip. They don't, no one really, like, there are fans, but f- football is king here for sure. Contrary to what many people believe, the Baltimore Ravens are not named after a bird. That's number six, by the way. The Baltimore Ravens are not named after a bird. The name Baltimore Ravens was actually derived from the, a poem titled The Raven by Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe, who is a resident of Baltimore. In fact, the Ravens mascot is named Poe. 
I didn't know that. I knew about the Raven. I read that. A lot of people probably read that in high school like I did. Uh, but surprised to hear that that's – but the mascot is a Raven, though. I, I'm just going to – I'm not even going to look it up. I'm going to believe you. I believe you there. Sammy Baugh once led the NFL in passing, punting, and defensive interceptions in the same year. Oh, my gosh. Uh, number eight, a player given the franchise tag hasn't switched teams since 1998. I don't understand that one. Does that mean that they weren't traded after the franchise tag? Because like, you can't, the franchise tag means you can't leave. So I don't understand. Like, I, isn't that, I would read that and be like, duh, but what am I missing there? Something. Number nine, final one. An NFL team has gone from worst to first in their division every year since 2000. That's unbelievable. That's the one that makes you, it makes me love football even more that that's even possible. That since 2002, 2002, every year since 2002. So, God, my math, I think that's 19 years. <laughs> Please. Like, you ever know, like, let me look it up. Because I'm just, I'm not, I'm not down for that being wrong. 2021 20, minus 2002. Yeah, so 19 years in a row. One team in their division has gone from last to first every single year at minimum. That's why football is amazing. You really can turn around an organization, and there's so much parity. It's so fair. This is why baseball needs a salary cap. This is why basketball needs a better enforced salary cap that isn't nonsense where you can go way over and just spend the, the luxury tax is ridiculous. Like They need a hard salary cap, and it makes sports way better. I just believe that with all my heart. And if baseball had a salary cap and fewer games, they'd be way better. So um, part of it is football is a great game. Part of it is they figured out how to create a league that has lots of parity and can allow bad teams to get better very, very quickly. All right, guys. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Like, I, I don't know. I can never tell. Like, are the the fun facts bad? I think they're interesting. But if you hate it, I guess you can turn it off. I save it for the end every time. Anyway, uh, and I and. Th- I don't write them in. Like, Ali collects them. I just read them. So, <laughs> happy to, I think it's fun. Anyway, I love you. I appreciate you. I'm very tired and very hungry. And that was way longer than I thought it was. 29. It'll probably be like 25 minutes because I, I didn't even cut when I went to get my water bottle. But anyway, I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. But um bum bam. We are done. <laughs>